I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your words to us that are meant to encourage us, that are meant to show us the way to abide in you. Jesus, there is no abiding in you apart from your enabling us. Lord, there's no abiding in you apart from you choosing us. So this morning, I pray that for all those who desire to abide in you, Lord, that you would make their abiding sure. Father, I pray that you would encourage those who are struggling with sin. Lord, struggling in areas they feel like they're not growing. Lord, for all of us who feel like we're not growing in areas... I pray that you would encourage us to grow as we stay close to you and love you. Father, for those who don't know you, I pray that you would spare them from being cast into the fire. I pray that you would use this morning to rescue people to you, to bring people to live in you, to find life in you, the vine. I pray that you would help us learn from your word how to grow as your disciples in the truth. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, last week, we began part one of our three-part series on our mission together as a church. And the first part of our shared mission that we unpacked is that we were called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And we, we heard about finding our identity solely as his disciples. And how true disciples abide in him and are truly free, but... Before we begin exploring part two, I'm going to go ahead and have somebody come up and, and I want you to hear from them, somebody who's been affected by catching hold of our shared mission together as disciples of Jesus Christ. Because I think as we hear of how God is at work in somebody else's life, it inspires us to pursue our common mission together even more, doesn't it? I know when I hear testimonies of how God's been at work in somebody else's life, it makes me want God to be at work in my life and it also gives me faith that He will be at work. So, Tom, if you would share with our church this morning, I'd be grateful. Thanks. Good morning. Yeah, back uh, February 17th, Matt, Matt had invited me to go out to lunch with him, and uh, it was a long lunch. We, uh, as a matter of fact, we talked for quite a while until we figured that it would be kind to the waiter to leave and go out and continue the conversation out in the parking lot. And uh, Matt was sharing his vision uh, for, the, it's not just Matt's vision. It was the vision that God is giving him for our church. And that is around being a disciple. And I remember as he was talking, I was trying to think in my mind, um, familiar term, what does that look like? I mean, we read about the disciples, we've heard of them, we've all that, but what does it really look like? And uh, I was wrestling that in my mind. I think at one time I said, well, but, but what does it look like, Matt? And as we were talking, the Spirit hit me. Tom, it, it, it's, it's like what happened to you in those early days when you first became a believer. Back then, I understood what it meant to be a disciple because I didn't think a whole lot about any kind of fears of what people were thinking or anything of that nature. 
I was just out telling people about Jesus. I said, man, my sins are forgiven. And uh, maybe my tact was probably inappropriate in some areas, but I didn't really care about that. I was really just focusing on knowing Jesus better. I knew I, I wanted so much to know more about his word. I was a freshman in college, and uh, at that point, I had a whole lot of things going on in my mind. I realized that being a disciple didn't mean, well, you just go to this church that's got a program that says disciple-making program or something like that, or go to a Bible school or a seminary, and that's what makes a, sem- uh, that's what makes a disciple. But rather, just to come to know him and to tell others about him. As I reflected on that later on, it, it took a couple of weeks, I, uh, I wrote some things in my journal about that. Obviously, the Spirit was working on me. And let me read an excerpt in March the 9th uh, in my journal. I remember when I first believed, I was so excited about Jesus. I feared none in telling others of Jesus. He was real. He forgave my sins. How much I wanted to know his word. I gave up my beloved basketball, the sport that had opened the door for college and a future. It was the pleasure I lived my life for. But when I came to know Jesus and knew that he was real, he captured my heart. I had no thought of the future. I just wanted Jesus. I wanted to know more of what he said. At the conclusion of the semester, I left my scholarship, anxious and excited to leave my security and former love and follow Jesus into the future. At that time, I had no American dream in my mind. All I knew was Jesus. I knew he was good, and he was willing to do anything, or I was willing to do anything to follow him. Well, that was my journal entry. Sadly, that was back in 1975. And so all of this started swimming into me as I'm talking with Matt, and I'm like, why was trying to understand what being a disciple looked like. Why is this hard for me? And it dawned on me. Marriage, children, work, career, busyness, you know, the kind of thing that all of us are dealing with. Somewhere along the line, it kind of crowded out the passion. Um, Still read the Bible, did the church stuff, and still desired to love the Lord, but passion wasn't there. And this all came to me to realize what Matt is asking us is just just to go back to that love. You know, we don't need a big program on discipleship. We just need to know him. Well, in and amidst all of this happening, James Lanier and Scott Triello and myself had been talking about getting some guys together uh, from the church uh, that were owned their own business or thinking about owning their business, and we would do different things together, and, and we talked about mission and vision and various things of that nature, but we wanted to do it distinctly with the shadow of the cross. And before you know it, if you look at in the rearview mirror, it was, wow, we're, we're actually discipling right now. We're encouraging one another. And in a couple of weeks, um, some of us, uh, about 10 of us are going to be getting together to start to learn more about how can we as men be at a place where we, 
we're comfortable shifting the conversations from sports or weather or what, whatnot and talk about the things that are really important and just start doing that. So I'm excited that God is leading our pastor to remind us to be disciples. I'm further excited that back then, my pursuit of discipleship was by myself. You can see where it ended up. I'm excited that we as a body can be lifting each other up and encouraging each other to be disciples. So some of you mothers who have kids pulling at your apron strings and (laughs) busy days, how can I be a disciple maker? Well, actually, part of it is with the ones who are pulling at your apron strings. Uh, Another Pete is just share, maybe pray. Try to find out what's going on in somebody else's life in the church and be praying and send them a quick little email. Something that is is keeping the flame of, of the passion of being a disciple maker. It starts first with knowing him better, pursuing that, but we'll get stagnant if that's all we do. And we move from there to whatever God leads you. He's gifted our church. I don't even know if we know what kind of gifts are in our congregation. It's time for us to stand up and do that. I'm excited that I'm going to have people to go with me. Thank you, buddy. Tom, Tom just said something important. I'm not sure if you caught it. He said that being a disciple is, was not joining a, a church program or on discipleship or not attending Bible school or seminary and and he shared that like many of us, he become confused and, and um, uncertain about what being a disciple of Jesus was like. And, and I know that I can relate to Tom at times too. Life just becomes full. Can you relate? Life just becomes full. And we get caught up in the busyness of life and let so many even good things just cloud our, our sight and keep us from our first love, from our passion about following Jesus and being learners following hard after Jesus. People who are devoted and want to give all to following Christ. And isn't that what you want, church? And as I talked to Tom and saw how God had been working his life and God had been giving him a renewed passion for Jesus, I, I thought, boy, that's contagious and just makes me want to experience the same thing in my life. And, and, and I want to encourage you to share testimonies with each other about how God is giving you a renewed passion because that's the kind of contagion that's okay. <laughs> yeah, don't put your kids in children's ministry have a snotty noses, but tell each other, be contagious about telling each other, you know what? I feel like God's warming my soul. I just, I want to know Him better. I want to live for Him. I want to I, I you know, learn more about Him. I want to be a disciple. So I want you to be excited and, and rejoice with God as we, as we see God at work in us. God's at work in our midst as a church, and sometimes we can fail to see that. This morning, I want us to long for, to look for, to anticipate, to eagerly expect. Is that you? Are you longing for? Are you eager for? Are you anticipating? Are you expecting God to do something in your heart? Are you expecting Him to work? Are you expecting He's going to enable you to be a follower of Him? Are you expecting that He's going to give you people to disciple in the church and outside of the church as well? Well, let's, let's make that our prayer together. And today, the, the second part of, of our, our vision, our mission together, the first part was just being a disciple. And that's, 
That's radical enough. And, and the second part is that we're called to grow as disciples. And we, we've seen that already in John 15. And we're going to unpack that really. What does it look like to grow in Christ? And last week we talked about abiding in Christ and abiding in His Word and how we'll know the truth through His Word and that truth will set us free. Well, this, this Sunday we're going to see that abiding in Christ and that finding our all in Christ, that's how we bear fruit in our lives as well. If you feel like you've been lacking fruit, if you feel like you've been not been growing, there's hope for you this morning. It's hope for me this morning. Hope for all of us this morning. We can grow as we abide in Christ. We can carry out that mission to grow in disciples. And, and, and how we can do that, it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's not complex either. And, and God tells us a little bit of that in John 15. In John 15 it says that... Um, Really, summing it up is that God causes us to grow. God's the one who causes us to grow, and He gives us joy as we stay in Jesus Christ. What does abiding mean? It means staying in. It means holding on to. It means staying fast to. But we have to remember that in all of our pursuit of growth, in all of our pursuit of abiding, in all of our pursuit of sanctification, to put a big word on it, we have to remember that it starts with the fact that, that it's God who causes us to grow. We're not the vine. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We're not the vine. He's the vine. He causes us to grow. And He'll bring joy in our lives as we continue to grow. And I believe that God has much joy for us this morning. You see, bearing fruit, He tells us in these verses, bearing fruit, it's not optional. It's, it's not optional if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian and, and you don't feel like you're bearing fruit, let me encourage you, bearing fruit's not optional. If you're not sure if you're a Christian or not, how can you tell? The question is, are you bearing fruit for Him? There is a sober warning in this text. It says that if we don't bear fruit, they'll be taken away, thrown into a fire, and burned. Jesus is saying, ultimately, either we bear fruit... And so, show that we're His disciples. It doesn't make us a disciple, but it reveals that we are His disciples. Or there's only one other final and ultimate reality. Either you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Either you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Or you're going to be gathered up eventually. Maybe after you die. Um, because our, our, our souls live on. Um, we either can be gathered up and tossed into the fire because you're not a disciple. Or you can be a disciple of Jesus. No matter how good somebody looks on the outside. No matter what good works are done, it doesn't matter. And this is a sober warning for us of the serious consequences of how we live our lives. But there's a paradox here. Although we, we have to grow, we must grow. We must bear fruit. It's crazy. In these same verses that tell us we must bear fruit, there's absolutely no way we can bear fruit on our own. We must bear fruit, but you can't do it on your own. Huh? What am I supposed to do with that, God? How am I supposed to bear? You tell me, bear fruit, be a disciple. So prove that you're a disciple. I'm supposed to bear fruit, prove I'm a disciple, but yet I can't bear fruit on my own. Then how how does that happen? And, And he tells us fruit comes through abiding in the vine, through being united in the vine. Mean united with Christ Jesus who is our vine. It's only as we experience the life that flows from him 
that we bear fruit. And we don't cause that fruit to come about. No, it's, it's like the life that pushes through a branch from the roots up and pushes out a branch and, and causes the buds to spring out in the springtime. And eventually, somehow, fruit comes out. We don't really know how that happens, but it comes from the nourishment of, of the vine, of the, of the, of the roots. And, and that's how growth happens in us as well. You see, it's all about us staying connected with Him, staying in Him, finding our life, our all, feeding in Him. That's why Jesus said, if you don't feast on my flesh and drink my blood, you have, you have no part of me. We have to abide in Jesus, stay in Jesus. What kind, of, what kind of discipleship is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the kind of discipleship where everything flows from Christ. Don't you want to live that way? Where everything in our lives is for Him and from Him and through Him and to Him. Sound familiar? Not forsaking our first love. Maybe you find that you've grown cold this morning. Maybe you feel like you're lukewarm. Maybe you kind of just feel blah. You ever feel that way? I, I, I know I do. I feel blah at times. It's, I know that's not really a descriptive word, but blah. Sometimes it's because other things have crept in into our lives and we're not abiding and looking to Him for a life and our source of hope and help and, and sustenance. But there's hope for us this morning. Come back and, and warm yourself. Come back and abide in Him. This, this mission that we're on together as a church is too important to play church. It's too important to pretend on the outside. And let's just, let's just get, commit to getting rid of all pretense. Can we do that this morning? Can we, can we just commit in our relationships to get rid of the pretense and the things that keep us from really just resting, trusting, looking to Him, hoping in Him, and keep us from having fellowship with other branches? It's too important. And Jesus tells us we must bear fruit. And He says we can only bear fruit if we abide in Him. And, and really the first point that we want to unpack for us is that growing comes through staying. Growing comes through staying in Jesus Christ. Growing comes through staying in Jesus Christ. Jesus says that He is the true vine. In the Old Testament, we've been, been hearing a lot about the covenant. We've been hearing a lot about mankind. And we've been seeing that every time man tries to keep God's commandments, he failed. All of Genesis is a testimony to man's great failure and God's great mercy. God's pursuit of mankind, and man continues to fail. And in the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the vine time and again. And we see that constantly Israel failed. Israel never was faithful. Here's the cool thing. It says that Jesus is the true vine. Where Israel, where all of mankind failed, where you failed, where I failed... We have the good news of the gospel that Jesus has not failed. And the fact that He did not fail us, that He is the true vine, He is the source of our hope. That's good news this morning. I, I love that whenever Jesus taught in, in, in the New Testament, He told stories because for me, I'm really oriented that way and I need to see vivid pictures. And he told stories that illustrated whatever he taught us. And this, this picture of a vine and a branch, it's a very rich illustration. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't thought much about it, to meditate on that. Think about, wow, what is, what is he saying? That, 
we're the branches and he's the vine and we have to abide in him. What, what does that look like? You know, I don't know a lot about vineyards. I, I'd love to one day um, have my own grape vine and I love, love grapes. I enjoy that. And, uh, my kids just go crazy about grape juice. I don't know a lot about vineyards. I don't know a lot about fruit trees. I have a couple in my yard. I think I told you about them before and they don't do so well. And... Um, but something happens every spring, and it just happened last weekend. And unfortunately, it happened to those really stinky Bradford pears that are really worthless trees that we have around here. That They, they produce these minuscule just fruits that I want to take and cut down and throw in the fire. But, um, but I have other trees that I want to bear fruit, and they're nectarine and a peach and a couple of apple trees. And I don't know how it happens, but you know, all of a sudden we came, came home, and we saw that these buds had just sprung out. And there were, there were pretty flowers on our trees around. And, and then eventually I know that at least I'll have one or two small, hopefully, nectarines or peaches. Last year they were about this big. They are really sweet, but it was one bite and you're done. Um, so I'm hoping for that. And, but have you ever thought about how a tree or how a vine produces fruit? I mean, you really can't see it happening, can you? I mean, you go out one day and there's something there. You come back the next. But you don't actually see it. Okay, here comes a flower. You know, I love those uh, cameras that take pictures of those flowers, of, you know, still photography. And over time, you, have the, you can see it happening because we can't ever see that in real life. We can't ever see how growth occurs. And it's that way in our own lives as well. We don't exactly know how that happens. We, and often we're unaware of that growth. And we don't cause that growth. It'd be silly to think that a branch causes growth to come out of it. There's something more going on. There's some powerful work at a force at work in that tree. There's some powerful force at work in that vine that's pushing out fruit. And it's, it's pretty amazing. We can plant a seed in the ground, but we can't make it grow. But God makes it grow. God makes it bear fruit. We have a picture here of how the Lord works in our lives and through our lives. We don't make the growth happen, but, but we can say connected to the one who does. The one who, who has a force that is at work in us who's given us His Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And then it's interesting that this picture too is that um, the Lord plants the vineyard in the first place. He's the one who created the vineyard. He, he put us in the vineyard. He grafted us into the vine. He put us there so we could bring Him glory, so we bear fruit for Him to show off His handiwork. You know, if you go and you see a beautiful orchard and it's producing and it's full of fruit, you think, whoa, somebody really knows what they're doing. If you come to my yard, you'll think, whoa, somebody doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> but bearing fruit brings God glory. You know, at the same time, though, we can, we, can, we can think that if we bear fruit, that keeps us in the vine. But that would really be silly, wouldn't it? Whoever thought that the grapes are... Or the reason that they're in the vine. No, of course not. The fruit can't take credit for being in the vine. The very idea is absurd. You see, growth doesn't come from the fruit. Growth comes from the vine and produces the fruit. The same is true in our lives. It protects us from being proud and arrogant. And it keeps us dependent upon Him. And that's how we're supposed to live every day. And so we have to ask ourselves, as a branch, I'm a branch. Everybody who's here, who's placed their faith in Christ, you are a branch. I'm sure some good jokes will come out of that later. Um, you are a branch. So as a branch, what's our responsibility? 
Our responsibility is to remain, to abide, to stay in Him. Well, what does that mean? What, because by definition, a, a branch that is part of the vine, it does remain in the vine. So that's, that's, it's wonderful. It's encouragement. If you are already part of the vine, you're going to remain in the vine. But as a branch, you know, sometimes things can, can keep you from growing. Sometimes weeds can grow up. And, and, and there can be some things that can fool us. And sometimes we can think something's a branch, and yet it's just a weed growing amongst the branches. And until the fruit appears... We're not sure. We can be confused with the branches. But when it comes time for the harvest, and this is what this scripture is talking about, it's evident the branch can't really be a vine because no fruit is being born. It must be a weed. So it needs to be pulled out, thrown into the fire. But we know that if we're connected to Him, here's the hope for us. If we are connected to Him, if we are found in Him, if we are pursuing Him, He will be at work in us even if we are unaware of it, even if we don't feel it, if we don't see it, we're not, we don't know how it happens. And He's going to cause us to bear fruit. It's not mere external obedience. You see, mere external obedience. He tells us about in this verse, He tells us about Matthew 7 as well. talks about examining our fruit and seeing if our growth is real or if it's just man-made external self-righteousness. Because you know what? You can do that. You can look like you're a Christian. You can act like you're a Christian. You can talk like one, walk like one, whatever that looks like. I don't, I don't know how to walk like a Christian, but um, I'm, I'm sure I'll get some suggestions later. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. So it's not... It's not just externals, it's as we do the will of the Father. It's, it's obedience that flows from a heart to love God. That's what brings lasting fruit. And there's a lot of counterfeit vines out there, aren't there? A lot of counterfeit claims that we can have life in other things. We're tempted all the time by counterfeit claims, counterfeit vines, untrue vines. You can try to bear fruit through legalistic observations of the law and through separating yourselves from society and looking pious. You can try to do that. That's a counterfeit vine. You can try to keep a whole litany of rules and regulations. Do not eat, do not touch, but you just can't do it. Look at all of Genesis if you're confused. No branch can bear fruit on its own. None of our works produce any real fruit on their own. If we desire to bear fruit, we need to abide in Jesus. Are you abiding in Him? Let's hold on to Jesus. Remain in Jesus doesn't mean we can't do a lot of works. We're able to do a lot of works. And things that look good on the outside. But there's a difference between philanthropists, right? There's a difference between philanthropists and even humanitarian people who just do lots of wonderful good things. And you can do lots of wonderful good causes. And um, there's even a move in, 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 in a lot of Christian churches that, hey, let's do lots of social work. And social work is good, but it's, it means absolutely nothing if we're not abiding in the vine, it means absolutely nothing if we're not pointing people to abide in the vine. Social work disconnected from the vine and disconnected from pointing people to vine, it's just, it's empty works. In 1 Corinthians, it tells us a little bit about those. It says, if we speak in the tongues of men and angels, if we give our, our body to be burned, we sacrifice ourselves, it's nothing if we, if we have not love. We can't, can't be fruitful in our own works and self-effort on our own. But thankfully, here's our hope. Thankfully, we have a master gardener 
And it's not me, and it's not any of us. We have a master gardener. And he tends us, and he teaches us, and he helps us, and he cares for us. And how does he do that? This this verse tells us, if you look down in verse 2 and in verse 3, it says, And every branch that does bear fruit, here's a word that none of us like very much. What's the next two words? Every branch that does bear fruit, what? He, say it together, prunes. You can say it again. He prunes. Wonderful. Here's the purpose of all his pruning. That it may bear more fruit. Not because he's mad at us or he doesn't like us or because God's vindictive. When God cuts things off of us, when he takes things away from us, when he removes those things that cause our desires to go after them instead of him, why is he pruning us? He's pruning us because he loves us. He's pruning us so we bear more fruit. And, and, and the second point that, that I really want to draw attention to this morning is that growing comes through... Oops, I actually don't have it up there apparently. But second point is that growing comes through pruning. Growing comes through pruning. Ouch, I don't like that. Who likes the idea of being pruned? No, I don't like the idea of being pruned. In horticulture, if you want to have maximum fruitfulness, I've been told that you must prune the vine. And the same in the Christian life. At times, God must prune us. He must clean us, it says. And pruning and cleaning really is what he's talking about. Clean us from being attached to sin so that we can have maximum fruitfulness. As a master gardener, the Father, He takes action because He loves us. He takes action to cut away those things that tempt us to love them instead of Him. That tempt us to look to them for satisfaction instead of Him. And He says, you're loving this thing too much. You don't get any life from it. You feel like you do. But I'm going to prune it so you can really bear fruit. So you can really grow. Because He really loves us. He takes action to cleanse his people so that we live fruitful lives. And the purpose of our pruning is that we might bear fruit. And then the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 5, doesn't he? In Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let's also walk by the Spirit. You see, part of this pruning, part of the pruning that goes on is God reveals the, the, the passions of the flesh to us and then we can crucify the flesh by His grace. And we're called to crucify. This, this pruning process is crucifying the flesh. Things that are important to us. Things that maybe even be good but are too important or more important to us than Jesus. Things that are running and ruining our lives. Things that are creating the works of the flesh. God cuts those things off at times so we can grow new life. Have you ever been cut like that before? No discipline is pleasant at the time. It's painful, but it produces growth. It produces the fruit of righteousness. We have to learn to let go of the things He's wanting to cut off at times. Don't, the harder we hold on to them, the, the, the more painful it becomes. Learning to let go of the things he's wanting to cut off. And, and he, he talks about walking by the Spirit in Galatians. Well, what, what in the world is that? What, what, what does the Spirit do? Well, the Spirit, the Spirit testifies of Jesus. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Spirit yearns for Jesus. The Spirit's in love with Jesus. The Spirit points to how beautiful Jesus is. So how do we walk by the Spirit? How, how do we abide in Christ? 
It's by finding Him more beautiful than anything else. By yearning for Him, longing for Him, pointing to Him, looking to Him. But here's, here's the wonderful news is that God's pruning, it enables us to say no to the desires of our flesh so we can see and hear the Spirit and walk by the Holy Spirit. We can glorify Jesus, love Jesus, look at Jesus and point to Jesus. And the good news, look down for a moment in verse 3. It says, already, this is our hope. It's this crazy thing. Put off the works of the flesh, but already you are clean, in verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Jesus is encouraging his disciples and he's encouraging us. You're already clean. It's not because you're unclean that you need pruning. No, the remaining sin, the remaining desires of the flesh, they do need to be clean. They need, do need to be pruned from your life. But there's hope to obey God, to follow Him, to abide in Him, precisely because we already are made clean. Isn't that good news? We've already been made clean, so because we've all been made, already been made clean, we can follow Him. We can get rid of that stuff. That keeps us from abiding, from living in Him. And then Jesus tells us what that looks like to stay in Him. And, and, and He really says that staying in Him, it looks like obeying Him. Staying in Him looks like obeying in Him. Staying in Him looks like obeying Him. What does it mean to abide in Him? What does it mean to stay close to Him? It means feeding on Him. It means making sure that we aren't doing anything that disconnects us from the vine. What are you doing that's disconnecting you from Jesus? What do you need to remove from your life? It's making sure that we're loving Him, not just hearing His Word, but doing it. Obedience to His Word because we want to stay close to Him. Now, loving Him and staying close to Him is not just a feeling or a thought, though, because sometimes you won't have those feelings or those thoughts. You'll feel like you've lost that loving feeling. <laughs> Sorry, I just put your mind in a different space. And now you're thinking about lyrics to that song, so I'll let you go there for a second. And then... Okay, now come back. Great. Loving Him and staying close to Him is not just a feeling or a thought. It, it implies action on our part. How do we know that we're loving Him we don't, even when we don't feel it? It's, it's what are our actions like? Staying in Jesus, it looks like loving Him. In verse 9 and verse 10 and verse 12, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus is reminding us all of our obedience in all of our desire for bearing fruit and our abiding in Him. Don't lose sight of His love. Don't lose sight of Christ's love. See, the gospel was what empowers us and enables us to be disciples in the first place. And the gospel gives us hope to abide in Him, to remain in Him because we've been made clean, because we've been made righteous, because He's chosen us, because He's called us. We can, we can love Him. We can abide in Him. If we love Jesus, we'll keep His commandments. And this keeping of the commandments, it flows from, from our love, not the other way around. It's the motivation for obedience. And as well, it's the way that we love. Jesus goes on to tell us what keeping His commandments look like. He says it looks like keeping His commandments is, is done by loving one another as He has loved us. You know, um, where Jesus says that to love your neighbor is yourself. Well, that's difficult, isn't it? I've got a neighbor that I, I need to love much, much more. 
I need to love them like I love myself. That's hard. That's difficult. That can seem insurmountable at times. But he's not telling us that here. He's telling us something even harder. Oh my. Not only am I supposed to love my neighbor like myself. No, now we just ratchet it up a whole other level. He says that we're to love like he has loved us. You know, that, that kind of love's impossible on our own. It can only come as we're abiding in Him, as we're aware of His love for us, as we're staying close, as we're reminding ourselves of His great love for us. If we abide in the Son, our fruit bearing, it brings glory to the Father. This kind of loving, this kind of obedience, this kind of fruit bearing, it's, it's not for nothing, it's, it's all for the glory of the Father tells us in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified. You know, the Westminster Catechism tells us that um, our, our chief end is to glorify God. And John Piper admitted that, says, by enjoying Him forever. And how do we glorify God? We love Him. We bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? By we staying in Him, by loving Him, by loving others like He's loved us. But, but don't confuse. Don't fall into the trap. Don't fall into the trap that very early on, very early on, the Galatian church, they fell into a trap. What was that trap? The trap was saying that, well, I became, I became a Christian. I placed my faith in God. I became a disciple. And, and, and that was all about putting my faith in Him and trusting in Him for that. But now I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to grow in Him on my own. I'm going to make it happen on my own. And Paul had some harsh words for the Galatians. He said, oh, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Don't confuse the work of obedience with bearing fruit that only comes from God. But you can trust in Him that your command to bear fruit, that can happen as you abide in Him, as you love Him, as you stay close to Him. As you obey His commandments, that's how you express your love for God. You think, well, that doesn't sound very loving. Jesus loved God by keeping all of his commandments. There's no more loving thing that Jesus could have done for us. We love God by keeping his commandments. Not, we don't create God's love for us. We don't graft ourselves into the vine by loving him. But we do love him by, by holding on. By saying, I don't want to go away from him. I want to obey everything he's told me because I love him, because he's grafted me in. I want to keep his commandments. I want to keep my life free from defilement, from anything that would pull me away from him. Anything that would separate me from the love of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to I obey him in everything because he's loved me so much. So what does abiding look like? It looks like saying no to the works of flesh and keeping a step of the Spirit. So ask yourself this morning, what do I need to put off? What do you need to put off? Think about it for a second. What do you, what are you, what is, does the Holy Spirit convicting you about right now? What do you need to put off? What are some works of obedience you need to put on? What's God saying to you? I know that the Lord is speaking to you because we have a speaking God who's always speaking to His children. I know that, you know what it says? My sheep hear my voice. I know that He's going to enable you to hear. If you have not yet, He's going to enable you to hear what you need to put off, what you need to put on. 
And then the question for you as well is, where are you actively seeking to learn from Jesus and be a disciple every day? Are you actively learning from Jesus every day? Are you following his model? Are you trying to be like the teacher? Not in your own self-effort, but an effort says, I, I, I rely on you completely, Jesus, and I want to be more like you. Teach me how to be more like you. Show me those things that need to be pruned. Let me give up anything that distracts. Jesus talked a lot about different things. He says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. What are some of those commandments? Well, he talks a lot about a lot of different things in, in, in the New Testament. One of the things he talks about the most is something that we shy away from. He talks about money a lot. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not bringing this up because somehow we're greedy about money. or, con- you know, But no, obeying his commandments looks like giving. It looks like sacrificially giving because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Jesus talked about money because how we spend our money, where we spend our money, it reveals where our treasure is. Where do you spend your money? I, I don't, don't answer me, answer yourself. Where's your treasure? Where are your priorities? Your money reveals your priorities. If you're a Christian, you're not generous towards others. If you're a Christian, you're not giving to the church. It reveals something about you and your priorities. You see, pursuing God, obeying His commandments, is going to look like loving and giving and living sacrificially. That's how Jesus loved us. He gave it all. How are you loving one another? It's, Jesus talked a lot about loving one another. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about being Jesus in, in, in loving the world and making disciples. But really, from this text, he, he talks about loving one another. So how are you loving your family? You keeping his commandments? You loving your family? Husbands, loving wives? Loving your children? How are you loving your care group? How are you loving the people who don't reach out to you or reciprocate? It happens. And it's not any good. It's not okay. How are you loving one another? Are you loving begrudgingly? I'm tempted to do that. If you love somebody else and you make an effort but they don't return the favor and no one loves you, do you get angry? Do you get depressed? may be a good indicator of how you're loving. It may be a good indicator of idolatry that God wants to prune and set you free from so you can abide in Him and not be encumbered by anything else and bear more fruit. Don't say this because I don't love you. Say this because we all need to be pruned in these ways so we can bear more fruit for Him and be disciples who grow in Him. I know I need to grow and be more selfless and loving people when they don't return the favor even more when people are unloving and unkind to me. There's probably somebody in this room right now that the Lord would like you to grow in being more loving towards who maybe has even spitefully used you. Pursuing abiding, pursuing obeying His commandments. It could look like loving God with your time. Are you obeying His commandments? Are you loving God? How are you spending your time? Because how you spend your time, it's reflective of something. It shows where your priorities are, what you think is important. Are you loving others with your money, your resources, your gifts, your time? You're loving God with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with all that you are. Are you obediently confirming all of, conforming all of your thoughts, all of your desires, all of your longings? Are you asking for Him to do that, for conform all of your actions towards Him? 
You're not going to be perfect. You are going to fail. But Jesus says, you already are clean. So there's hope to continue to be made clean. There's, there's hope for the pruning process because you're already clean. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This isn't a condemning message. This message is meant to bring us freedom and real and lasting fruit so that we don't have all those sins that so easily encumber us and snare us and weigh us down. He died to make us righteous. That's good news. He's chosen us. He set His never-ending, His never-failing, His never-stopping, His always faithful love on you. And you didn't deserve it. You deserved His wrath. And he said his, his never-ending, never-failing, never-stopping, always faithful love, and he's made you worthy in his sight. And he wants you to bear fruit. What a wonderful calling. Not only has he done all those things, he wants you to be like him. He wants you to bear fruit for him, to glorify the Father. We love him. We take up our cross daily as disciples. Because, oh, how great a love he's loved us with. We don't do that to earn favor. We do that because we've been given favor. This abiding he talks about, this continual abiding and trusting in the fact that because we're part of the vine, that somehow, we don't know how, we won't always feel it. When it's the right season, we'll bear fruit. But if you ever looked at the trees in your yard, like I've been looking at mine all winter and saying they look ugly because they have no leaves on them. And finally, there's some kind of sprouting of life. You know, there's seasons in our life. That's why he gives us this analogy about a vine and branches and talks about fruit trees and other passages. It's because you won't always see growth in your life, but you're still growing. The tree is still growing. I can't see it. I don't see any green shoots. It looks dead in the wintertime. There will be seasons in your life that appear dead. You cannot trust that. You can't trust appearances. You say, I want to abide in the vine. This is going to draw me closer to the vine. The weather is getting cold and bitter. The snow is piling up. The ice is crusting your, your tree. Abide in the vine. Stay close to Him. Find your warmth in Him. There will be seasons that you will bear fruit. You can trust in the vine to create fruit when you don't see it. In those dark and bitter winters, you see in the winter, a vine, a tree, it's being fed and it's growing strong. Even though the leaves have been stripped off, it's developing strength that's going to enable it to bear a heavy load. You see, when, when you first plant, I, I've tried this before, and unfortunately they don't, they don't live very long, but when I've planted vines before, they grow up small. And in the wintertime, somehow something happens where they get stronger through the winter and enables them to carry a heavier load so that when the fruit comes in, they can bear the fruit and the fruit won't break it. They actually have the, the support system to bear that fruit. You know, a friend of mine, he was growing tomatoes once and he was growing them indoors because he lived in an apartment and he really loved tomatoes and he didn't even have a balcony. He was kind of overhung. And so he put tomatoes inside and he, he had this whole system worked out and it was kind of hydroponically kind of grown and he had, had lights and everything. But these tomatoes, they just didn't produce anything. They didn't produce any fruit whatsoever. And then finally he did a little research and he, he found out that, oh, you know what? They actually need some kind of force acting against them. They needed wind to, to blow against them. They needed the rain to hit them to make them stronger. They needed, they needed things to bend them. 
They needed things to pummel them to make them strong. So he put an oscillating fan on the tomatoes and they, they grew and the long story short is that he put the oscillating fan and he actually started spraying them with water and then and they started producing fruit. I'm not sure if that's real or not, but he told me that and, and, and they really did bring, bear fruit. As a branch sometimes, we may feel like saying, this wind is too much. I want perfect circumstances where everything is nice and neat and clean, where I have nothing blowing against me, nothing coming down on me, and, I'm, and I have just this sterile perfect environment. We try to set our lives up that way, but we're never intended to grow that way, and we won't be strong in these perfect, sterile environments. Is it because God doesn't love us? No, He wants to make us strong. He wants us to bear fruit for Him. So He uses pressure in wind and a hot sun at times, in rain, all those things to make a branch strong. There's no way for a weak, spindly branch to carry the weight of a beefy boy tomato. I like beefy boys, these big things, the meaty tomatoes. Sometimes storms come in life, don't they? You know, I've, I love this time of year because right now, um, aside from the tornadoes and the bad things of storms, um, I, I, love, I love heavy downpours. I love, I love the, the, the spring and then the summer storms that come. Because I know that after the storm goes by, the storm won't last forever. I know that after the storm goes by, you know what? Um, the birds come out and sing. The sun comes out and, and, and the grass gets greener. Things grow. In our life, sometimes we forget that the storm's not going to last forever. But the storm is actually sometimes what helps us grow. It's what feeds us. We find nourishment the most at times in our lives when clouds seem to obscure our sight of God. That's the time we can press into Him, find nourishment and abide in the vine. If the clouds didn't appear to obscure the sun, they wouldn't pour out the rain that we need. We wouldn't grow if the sun didn't shine and there'd be no photosynthesis and, no, and the sugars needed to make the fruit come. And, but sometimes the sun can feel awfully hot at times, can it? We complain when the sun's too hot. We complain when there's clouds out. We forget that God's at work in it all. That hot sun makes us stronger. The storms will be used for our good. Abiding in the branch means not going anywhere else. Whatever comes, we know. No matter how hot the sun feels, we trust. Even we can't see it, the fruit will come as we abide in Him. We have a master gardener. And he, He's going to bring us growth. He's going to bring us fruit. This morning, while we had a testimony, while I encourage you to have testimonies, we need to be reminded that God gives us fruit. Because sometimes we have seasons we don't see it in ourselves. We need to help each other see fruit in each other's lives as well. Because sometimes you get discouraged. Maybe your fruit's small. <laughs> but it's sweet. My nectarines are really good. They're teeny. But they're really good if I get three of them really good ones. Yay! It's better than nothing. Rejoice in small beginnings. The fruit that he brings, we're going to experience joy in him. And that's really our fourth and final point is that obeying Jesus is actually where we find joy. Growth in Christ through obedience that flows from loving and abiding in, in Christ. It's not meant to be ho-hum. It's meant to produce joy in us and it's meant to fill us with joy even in the midst of pruning, even in the midst of troubles. Joy is found by keeping close to him. You ever, you ever find when you disobey, it kind of, it makes you feel like you don't experience His presence in the same way. 
It robs you of your joy. What is he wanting here for us? He's wanting us to enjoy him by getting rid of those things, by cutting off those desires. By obeying him, we actually experience more joy. Actually, I lied. There's one more, one more point I want to share with you. We grow, and it's all because of God. We grow, and it's all because of God. If you ever see a cultivated vineyard, if you're driving down the road, it can only mean one thing. Somebody cultivated it. Somebody planted those vines. Somebody tended it. Somebody made sure it was fruitful. We see order in a field and perfectly planted wheat. You know there must be a farmer. The same is true for us. If there is growth in your life, God's at work. The master gardener, he plants the vine. He gave us Jesus. And he's the one who grafts us into Christ as well. That's where our hope is. Our hope is in the fact that we grow because of Him because He grafts us in. He fertilizes us. He knows our souls. Imagine if one day as the Master was walking along through the vineyards and pruning His branches and the branch started telling the Master what to do and where to cut and where not to cut. That would be a little nuts. That would be crazy. It doesn't happen that way. No, the Master decides where the branches need to be pruned. The branches don't tell the master where to cut. Instead of trying to tell the master who grafted many branches and he knows the weather, the soil, and everything else that's needed to grow these vines and branches, we can trust that God knows what he's doing. God planted us. God's grafted us in. God's chosen us. That's why Jesus says in verse 16, he says, You did not choose me. It's important for us to remember that we didn't choose Him. Why? Because He's grafted us. If we're in Him, if we're abiding in Him, if we want to abide in Him, He's chosen us. He's grafted us into Him. He says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. All of our obedience, it doesn't secure us in Him. We didn't choose Him to begin with. So we need to grow as disciples. We're called to grow as disciples. Let's spur each other on to growth and to godliness. But let's remember it's all about Him. It's all from Him. He gave us the growth to begin with. So the good news is, He's going to enable us to grow too. And He asks us to stay in Him, to abide in Him. We've been chosen by God. We've been appointed by God to bear fruit that abides, fruit that lasts and stays there. And our fruit, here's the great thing, we've been appointed to bear fruit that remains. That's really good news. God has appointed fruit will remain in your life. If He's chosen you, if He's called you, He'll enable you to bear fruit and He's going to make sure that your fruit remains. You don't have to be terrified by those verses earlier. If you're abiding in Him, our fruit will remain because He chose us. And isn't that good news? This is our blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And there's something that we're going to close with right now. It's mentioned twice in these verses. In verse 7 and in verse 16. Look in verse 7. 
tells us to ask. He says, if you abide in me, verse 7, and in my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's crazy. Wait a minute. What's going on? And then in verse 16, he tells us that as well. It's, it's difficult to understand because you think at first blush, well, wait a minute. Is this just what we want? Carte blanche is going to be done for us? Whatever we ask? I think it's where word faith kind of movement went, went astray. That we can just ask anything and wonder what it is and we'll get a carte blanche. But that's not what he's saying. But he gives us some qualifiers. He said, if we abide in him and his words abide in us. In the process of pursuing growth and bearing fruit as disciples, we're being encouraged to seek his face, to pray. How do you grow? You depend upon him. You abide in him. You obey him. Find your joy in him. Trust that he's doing it. And look to him in prayer. The process, we're encouraged to pray and pray in accordance with our abiding in Jesus in agreement with his words that abide in us, is what he's saying. And if you pray that way, if you pray in his name, in accordance with his will for your life, then oh, whatever you ask, he's going to do it for you. And there's, it's, it's wonderful. I, I, If we're living in Jesus, if we're finding our life in Him, if the words of Jesus abide in us, if we're living that way, all of our prayers are going to be in agreement with God's will. And the, he says that he's, he's, going to, he's going to give us whatever we ask. He doesn't expect it to go us, us to go to alone. Sometimes you can feel like in this growth process, as you're being pruned, as you're needing to grow, you can feel like you've been left alone, like He doesn't want to give you help. You ever feel that way? The Father's not trying to withhold good things from us. Our Father desires to give you whatever you need to grow. Sometimes we lack faith. Often we lack faith. Often we feel like the Father is begrudging towards us. But He's not. He wants to give us what we need to grow. Whatever we wish to grow. God wants to give you what will enable you to abide in Him. Ask for that. And He says, whatever you wish, I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll enable you. I'll help you. I'll give you the ability to grow and bear much fruit. Maybe you've always tried to grow on your own and you've been frustrated because you feel like you just don't know how to trust Him. Maybe you've lacked faith for any ability to change. Come to Him. Ask Him to enable you to grow. To live for Him and please Him. Ask Him for big things, church. Ask Him for big things is what He's saying. Ask Him for big things in your life. Ask Him to change your heart. Ask Him to give you new motives. And He'll give you whatever you ask. Go ahead and stand and have the band come forward. Maybe you find yourself this morning lacking faith. Maybe you find yourself discouraged. Maybe you're not sure if you're in the vine or not. Maybe you find it difficult to obey. You're finding it hard to love somebody else. As you hear these things, you think, I just can't do that on my own. And I want to encourage you, you're right, you can't. You need to abide in Him. So ask big. Ask big. And, and as the band goes ahead and plays, and we're going we're gonna to sing a song in closing, as they're doing that, I'd encourage you to ask big. Ask God. 
to change your heart. Ask God to, to change your motives, your desires. And have faith that He will meet you.